Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hi, listeners. Welcome to ADAPS Prevention 365 podcast, where prevention is every day and every way. I'm Jeannie Shimatsu, your host. And our conversation today is about biracial and bicultural identity from a personal experience. Oftentimes the focus is on interracial uh, relationships, but must, much less on the experience of being biracial or the children of. So our guest today is Jackie Jing. She is an on-cam, on-camera personality influencer, host producer, Emmy nominated, TV journalist. Anyways, you may have seen her on IGN, Nerdist, uh, Funimation, and Anime News Network. I know Jackie as a consultant and a friend. She's Mm -hmm. smart. She's stunning. She's strong. She's independent. Um, (laughs) And related to our topic on biracial, biracial identity, Jackie identifies as half Chinese and half white. So Jackie, we're going to jump into this. Welcome, welcome, first of all. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Um, I'm such a big fan of this podcast um, and a huge proponent of ADAP. And um, I've listened to the last few episodes and I think that you guys are helping so many people and getting really interesting stories out there and also educating people. So I'm happy to be here. Thank you so much. Um, Let's go straight into uh, your own experience. What experiences have shaped you based on your biracial identity? Oh man. So it's so funny. It's like, how do you ask that question? Right. Um, and, and give like a, an answer for that. That's like not super long. Um, so at a very young age, I remember feeling like an outsider and feeling isolated, you know, and my family, um, I grew up for a short time in, Connecticut. And, um, like some of my earliest memories were like actually being discriminated against, which is, it's, I know that sounds like really negative. Um, but I remember my, there was, again, I was very, very young, but, um, my mom told me and my dad told me that, like, I told them that, a kid came up to me and said that he couldn't be friends with me because of the way that I looked, you know? And, um, I was really confused and that was like a really, really difficult moment. And I think conversation for them. And to be honest, I was so young. I don't really remember that conversation, but I'm sure like as a child, that was probably super hurtful. Um, and then I do have vague memories of, um, I think like I was on the playground and kids were like holding their eyes like slanted and I didn't really understand that they were making fun of me. I think that that I thought that I was like playing with them or something. And like looking back now, it was like actually like they were, I I guess, mocking me or I don't know, like maybe they didn't even really know what they were doing either. And so um, that was my experience. And I'd have to talk to my parents. I'm pretty sure Ian had my brother had experiences like that as well. And um I just remember being very confused uh, and just like not understanding why people didn't want to be friends with me because of the way that I looked, you know, and uh, again, like I was so young that I I just remember just being really sad about it and uh, just not really completely understanding. And 
I don't really remember what my parents told me again, because I was really young, but I'm sure that that was really difficult for them too. Uh, you were talking about like interracial relationships. My dad is a six, five Russian Scottish guy, you know, and my mom, um, was from Hong Kong and, um, I, I don't think that they, my dad, you know, was raised by like a, a very accepting, loving family, obviously, you know, um, and he went to Harvard and Harvard's business school. So I, he's just like an intelligent, um, you know, person with like a good heart. And um, my mom, I mean, obviously, like she like she was super intelligent, gorgeous. Like, I just think that they though they're divorced now and they're not the biggest fans of each other at the time, like they were a good match. And I don't even think that they saw that, you know, like, I don't even think that, that they really knew the impact of, um, being in an interracial relationship was going to have on their kids, you know? Um, and man, like those were the, like the earliest memories I have, um, growing up. I don't like after that, very, those very young experiences, um, when I was older and I was like in um, like the later years of elementary school, middle school and high school, I don't remember anyone ever being like blatantly racist to me. Um, but I just remember a lot of like subtle stuff. Um, I noticed that, like, you know, they would call me Godzilla. Like they made fun of me because I'm really tall. I'm six two. But then obviously it was like it wasn't like she's a giant or something. It was like, it had to be, you know, Godzilla. Cause it had to have like some sort of like Asian twist on it. Right. Mm. And, um, I also like to this day, I'm 34 and, um, you know, I've struggled with guys sexually fetishizing me, uh, since like, I can remember, you know what I mean? Like guys would always like call me like China doll or ask if like, you know, sex was different with me and like all this weird stuff. And like, for me again, like I was just like, so confused. Like I was like, wait, what? Like, I don't understand what's like different about me, you know, um, from anyone else. And, um, so I think that it, it's just been, it's funny because, you know, people are like, um, oh, well you're half, you know, but I think for most of my life, like I always identified as Asian. Like I, I actually have a best friend. She's full Chinese. And, um, she was like, Jackie, you, like, I was ashamed of, of being Chinese. And she's like, and you were someone who like embraced it so much. And you're like, just half, you know? And it's funny. Cause I, I actually don't speak Mandarin or Cantonese, but yeah. it's like a part of me that I am very proud of, you know, like, I'm always like, I'm half Chinese, you know, my mom is from Hong Kong. And I, I do think my mom didn't teach me how to speak Chinese because again, it was like an assimilation thing. I think she really didn't want us to be seen as different. I know she regrets that now, you know, um, but I think at the time, you know, I can't even imagine what she was going through because her children are being like bullied for no reason, you know? And then she, and then my mother had her own assimilation issues, you know? Um, I think it was always really hard for her to make friends because, um, there was a language barrier for sure. And there were, um, cultural barriers as well. Um, you know, I always tell people my mom is like the bluntest, most like curt person I've ever met in my life. Like she will tell you straight up what something is like without sugarcoating anything. Like, you know what I mean? Like, um, <laughs> 
if I need a haircut, she's like, you really need a haircut. You know what I mean? Like if she's like, you look tired, it's like, you look really tired. Like what's going on here? You know, like, it's just like, she doesn't know how to say things like, like nicely, you know? And I always was like, why is my mom so mean? Like, I literally thought that I was like, why is my mom so mean? She's like so harsh with me. And then, um, when I was in my mid twenties, we went to China. It was my first trip to China that I was cognizant of. She actually, actually, I should, I'm sorry. I'm talking so much, but I should rewind after, after what happened at the Montessori with the, um, children being, blatantly racist against my brother and I, my dad and my mom were like, we should take Jackie and Ian to um, Hong Kong so they can see people who look like them. Right. So Ian and I, Ian and I actually went to Hong Kong and for six months we were over there and going to school there. But it's, it's funny because we went over there and I remember being even more isolated because I couldn't speak the language. You know, I couldn't speak Chinese And I looked very different and was definitely getting special treatment. I remember they like brought a cake out and all this stuff, you know, and that made me even more isolated from the kids. So it it was kind of like, I just feel like my parents, I didn't really even know what to do, you know, sorry. So I'm, I know I'm like all over the place here, but, um, yeah, it's, it's just like super confusing. And I feel like I'm 34 and I'm still trying to, trying to like figure out like exactly how how to, you know, identify, I mean, I know how I identify myself, but I think it's still like a very confusing topic for me. Like, I'm like, I look back at my youth and I'm like, my parents were trying their best, but I don't think they knew how to deal with it either. And so I think that there was a lot of confusion for a long time. Um, but I think I'm definitely proud of being Chinese Um, and, and to get back into, you know, I was talking about my mom's behavior and stuff, you know, when I went to China in my mid twenties, you know, the people there, um, you know, were on a mission to get things done, you know, like it's, it's a heavily populated area, you know what I mean? And it's like the people have goals and they need to get them done, you know? And then, um, I remember we met a group and I was like, mom, how do I tell them? Like, you know, I'm enchanted to meet you. Like, it's a pleasure to meet you. And my mom was kind of like, we don't even really like say that, you know? And so I just learned from being there, like, this isn't my mom being mean, this is how she was raised. This is her culture, you know? So it's funny. It took me until I was in my mid twenties to realize that like, no, my mom is not mean. She's just not like, you know, she's American now, like, and she's been here for decades, but it was like, she was trying to, to fit into American culture and they're just so different. So I think growing up, it was really hard for me because my parents didn't really know how to handle the situation. And then I felt myself torn between these two cultures because, um, you know, obviously I was like going to school and there was American culture that I was being assimilated into, but then at home, you know, like it was very much like my, you know, I was around my mom all the time. So it was very much like her culture, but then I was trying to understand how they both came together. And I think that's kind of the interesting thing is that it was so hard when I was younger, but now it's made me such an accepting person. And I'm like, I'm, I'm both, you know, like I'm both. And to be honest, it's very funny because I definitely think my whole life I've had problems with being very blunt and upfront with people. And I, it's something I've had to work on my whole life and it's because, and it's culturally something that I definitely got from my mom. You know what I mean? 
Um, and now I've just had to really like focus on being like, okay, like you can't just like straight up say stuff like that. Like you have to like ease into it and, and sugarcoat things like a little bit more, you know? So it is interesting because like, I don't think there was any, um, baby book or like instructional manual for my parents. And it's like, it's kind of just ended up being what it was. And I think, unfortunately, Ian and I struggled with bullying because of it. And I think we struggled with our identity because of it. Um, and I think that, you know, that did lead to some of the mental health issues that both of us have dealt with, you know, um, I think Ian, he had depression and anxiety in a different level than I do, but I think that, um, I definitely deal with depressive episodes because like, I, I don't see my worth and I don't see my value. And I, I, um, I'm really hard on myself, you know? And I think it's because like, I, I had to deal with a lot of, I just felt a lot of pressure always, you know what I mean? And, and never feeling accepted, you know, so it, it's translated into my mid thirties and it's still something that I really struggle with, but, you know, self-work trying to get better at it. Jackie, I'm so glad you said that. I think that's so critical. Um, I want to go back to something you talked about in the beginning about being biracial and the feeling of not fitting in either way, either side mm -hmm. as um, a, a Chinese American as somebody living in Hong Kong with those that are Chinese, as in the white community, you know, in the United States, it's almost like you had a foot in, foot out wherever you went. Have you connected with other people who are biracial? And have you had a chance to talk amongst yourselves about what it is that um, brings you strength? Hmm. Really a biracial child. Yeah, you know, I've met a lot of biracial people. Um, I've met tons of hoppas, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Um, and we never talk about like the sad part of it. Like, I think it's just kind of like, you know, people don't like to talk about sad things and things that make them uncomfortable, you know, but I think like, we're always like hoppa, like, you know, we immediately kind of bond whenever I see a hoppa, like we will point it out immediately. Cause we can just like tell we're like, Oh, you're half, you know, and we'll point it out immediately. And I think it's like interesting. Cause I think every hoppa is a little different. I think for me, I, I definitely haven't heavily sided with my um, Asian side, you know what I mean? But I don't think that's, that's like that for everyone. Like I said, like, there's a lot of um, people who, you know, like, they're just like, no, I want to be more affiliated with this than that, you know? And again, I don't know why I ended up like that. It's just, I just remember when I was a kid and it was like, fill out your race. And I was like, I'm Asian. Like, I, I don't know why, like, it was just like, that was what I, I chose, you know? Um, so yeah, unfortunately, I don't think I've talked to them about it that much, but I, I think it's because it's really, it's really tough. And to be honest, this is kind of like the first time I've ever talked about it openly. Mm -hmm. Um, it was just really weird because it was just like, nobody wanted to say anything about it, but you could always tell, like when I was in school, it was like, people knew I was different, but like, they didn't want to call it out or they didn't really know how to say it. And to this day, I still have people who are like, what, what are you like, what's going on there? You know? And I'm always like, okay, well, I'm just half Chinese. I'm half white, you know, like, it's not like, I don't know, like sometimes they're just like, so like mystified by what's happening. And then I, I do remember when we were younger, 
you know, um, it's funny because things have really changed now. And I talked to my dad about this, but I was like, you know, when we used to go to dim sum when I was a kid, they were like, people were uncomfortable with my dad being at dim sum and with really? Ian and I, like they were literally like, what, what is this? Like what, you know, we would get a lot of eyes on this, you know? Um, and now, you know, there's a lot, like, it's not even a big deal anymore. Now, like everybody goes to dim sum, you know, like everybody loves dim sum and knows what dim sum is, you know, but when I was a little, little kid, I do remember getting a lot of eyes and people being like, okay, well, wow. You know what I mean? Like, just like, they didn't really know how to react to it either. Um, so it's like, I think that, um, unfortunately my parents, you know, they like were just like, okay, we got to deal with this situation and didn't really know how to deal with it. I think, um, parents now who are interracial couples, I think they know how to deal with it a lot better. I think like, I have a lot of issues with self-worth and I think one it's because, um, you know, my mother's culture isn't the most complimentary. So I have tons of issues with self-worth. And then also like, I always felt shunned from everybody at school, you know, like when we went to Chinese school, we were not quite Chinese enough. And then when we were at our normal, like, you know, American school, we were still a little bit different. And it's funny because people who are my friends who are Caucasian were like, I never knew that you felt like that. And it was like, you just did, you know, like, and maybe it was just, you just knew you, you just felt like, Hey, why don't I look like everybody else? And why it just was like, why, why am I different? And why am I strange? You felt that that was the self-talk I had. My self-talk was like, why am I different? Why do I look strange? Why do I feel like I'm being isolated, even though they're not openly doing it? And, um, I just think that there was just things subtly in people's heads that were being portrayed and, and said to me, and they didn't even realize that it was, it was kind of discriminatory, you know? And I think that a lot of it could have been like, maybe I was isolating myself in ways. Cause I felt like I was like, Hey, I don't look like anyone. Like, this is kind of weird, you know? Um, so yeah. And it's, it's strange. Um, you know, I play sand volleyball with like all sorts of, you know, races, you know? Um, but you know, for a long time, like, I don't know why, but I was, I definitely felt like I was playing with minorities more than Caucasian people. I don't know why, you know what I mean? And I I do think that sometimes there was a, a sense of security with, being around people who I felt like understood my pain. Like, um, one of the groups I play with the most is, uh, it's a bunch of Chinese girls, you know? Um, and I don't, but it's, it, that's also something that I think that like, I'm like, okay, Jackie, you got to step out of your comfort zone and make sure you're, you know, I make sure to play with a variety of people, you know, but, um, it is just, I, th- I do think it's sometimes it's kind of like, it's interesting that we want to be around familiarity. Right. But I think being half, it was like, I never, I never really knew what was familiar, what was home. Like, you know what I mean? Cause like, I think, um, you know, my best friend, Cece, she's Chinese and she fits in with her family really well. And like, I can hear her speaking to them in Mandarin and like, they just have their culture and they have their way. And like, I can just see she fits in with them. And like, I think for me, it's always been like, trying to figure out like, where do I fit in? And I've, I've figured out with time that, um, Jackie, you can be familiar with everyone. You know what I mean? And that it's, 
it's kind of, um, it just took me time to realize that, you know what I mean? So, yeah. Yeah. You know, I went to Japan to try to figure out my Japanese side only to discover that I'm not Japanese from Japan. I'm Japanese American. And that has its own definition of identity that is unique to growing up here. I'm an American of Japanese descent. And even within that, our different sector groups are also very different. So I've discovered, yes, while we don't speak Japanese in the home because it's not something we do every day, it doesn't make me less than what I am as I see myself. And so it's been defined as I define it, you know, because no matter what, especially in this country, while I am not biracial, I'm bicultural. And I think if people are very realistic, this country needs to identify those that are biracial because these generations that have been there and they're only growing and it's only going to grow more so because we live in such a diverse community. And just like a funny story, a friend of mine who grew up in the San Fernando Valley, their family's Korean. Um, the father was upset that he was dating non-Koreans and he's the only Korean in the school or, you know, of his, you're going to go out with people that you associate with and that's where they grew up. So, but it's interesting. Um, how everything evolves with our identity, you know, we end up choosing what does make us feel comfortable in love. Sometimes that's within our own ethnic background. Sometimes it isn't. And that's yeah. okay. And that's okay. Right. I, I definitely think that I've always been trying to find my safe space. And like I said, like, I felt like CC's safe space is like at home speaking Mandarin with her family um, you know what I mean? And, and, you know, they are, their Chinese culture is like very big at her home, you know, for me, it, it was just a, a mix, you know? And I think that for me, it was always like, well, why it seems so clear for other people. And so then I was like, well, why isn't this clear for me? But like you said, like with time we find out like, okay, well, we find what our identity is, you know, for like you said, you said you're a Japanese American, you know, for me, I feel like I'm, you know, a half Chinese, half Caucasian woman, you know what I mean? And I, I live in America and I think I have little bits and pieces of all the different cultures, you know, like I, yeah. I definitely, um, I'm, I'm proud of my Chinese heritage. I'm also proud of, you know, my dad, he's always like touting our Scottish heritage. And, um, you know, we have like a little bit of Dutch and Russian and Polish and stuff like that. And he, he's like, yeah, like you should know like these facets of yourself. And I appreciate that, you know? Um, and then I also know that, you know, my, I was, you know, raised in America. So, my mom's culture and my culture, like I've inherited little bits of hers, like the bluntness. And, um, sometimes I can be a little bit rude without meaning to be and stuff like that. You know what I mean? Like, but I also like my mom never said, I love you to me. Like she never said, I love you to me. And then I was like 13 or 14 years old. And I remember she like was about to hang up the phone and I was like, say, I love you. And she was like, 
what's going on? You know? And then I was like, why won't you say I love you to me? I'm like, everybody says I love you when they hang up the phone, except for you. I'm like, why don't you tell me you love me? And she was like, we don't do that. She's like, what do you like? What? I don't do that. We didn't, we've never done that, you know? And then a great dinner. Doesn't that show that I love you? Yeah, exactly. And so then I, so now it's funny. Cause like, I, it's even uncomfortable for her now. Like I can hear like, well, she'll be like, I love you. Like at the end of the phone conversation. And it's like, it's not what she wants to do or like feels the need to do, you know? But for me, it's like, I, I like tell people I love them all the time. Like, I'm like, I love y'all love, 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 you know? Um, so it's just, it's funny. Like we just are very, very different, you know? Um, and also, you know, my mom, uh, we, we had like a tumultuous relationship while I was growing up. Uh, and I do think there was, there was like a cultural barrier, you know, and I think there was a, at times language barrier too. And, um, you know, like we, we both apologize to each other a lot, you know, like my mom is like, I'm really sorry. Like, I didn't know how to, to love you the way that you wanted to be loved, you know? And I, I tell her like, you know, I'm sorry, I was mad at you so much without, recognizing all the hardships and BS, frank, frankly, that she had to deal with to be here in the U.S., you know? So, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's complex. Yeah. And sometimes we have to define love by how a person gives it. It's not necessarily what we expect, but also observing how they're showing their love in different ways. Yeah. We're, my mom and I are very different. Like she's a quieter, Mm -hmm. um, blunter, um, no BS type of person, you know? And I like to think that I'm a blunt, no BS type of person too, but I'm also like very like flowery with my language and talk a lot and, you know, love and love to be expressive and express like my emotions. Like, and she's, she really, really has a hard time with expressing her emotions, you know, unless it's discussed because gone a lot of that. (laughs) Just kidding. Well, it looks like you have such an interesting blend of the expressive from your father's side. Yeah. See, my dad is like a a loud, outspoken, like wild man, you know, and people are always like, people have met me and they're like, oh my gosh, you're you're literally like a mini Frank, you know, they're like, you're just like Frank, you know? And it's funny though. Cause everyone says I look a lot like my mom. So it's just like funny, just like identity is such a weird thing. And I think, you know, it's funny. Cause you're like, Hey, I have these questions. Do you want to look at them? And I was like, nah, let's just have a conversation about it. You know? Um, it's something that people don't ask me about like at all. And like you said, like, have you talked to other hoppers about it? And I think it's just kind of like painful. It's painful to like, not have you've, you do have a home. My home was my home, yeah. but it's like, you feel like you don't, you know, you, and it, you, you always feel isolated from both, you know? And, but the thing is like with time, I've just learned, like you said, it's like, yeah, it's a little different. Like I can't flat out be like, Hey, I'm Chinese from like this province or from Hong Kong or like, you know what I mean? Like it, maybe it's not as concrete um, when it comes to like society's terms, but it's like, it's not like, my identity is any less valid. It's just very unique. Exactly. Exactly. You've defined it where you're from and who you are. And I think that's beautiful. I feel like you're on this journey and this is where you are at this time and place. And in five or 10 years, you're going to be in a different place and you've defined this 
as your identity and what you've embraced. And maybe instead of isolation, it'll open doors. Yeah. It'll open doors to the great things of being biracial and appreciate the great things that you are because of it. Yeah. You know, um, one of the big reasons why I wanted to work with the Asian American drug abuse program is that, I mean, I just knew the way we were raised was like not to talk about your issues and to like keep everything in and just you're strong enough to deal with this. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And um, I honestly thought you guys were weird. I was like <laughs> the Asian American drug abuse program. I was like, there's no Asians who like to talk about their feelings and emotions or weed through mental health. Like, I'm, I'm sorry. Like I've never, and you know, I have tons of Asian friends and it's like, that just isn't talked about. Like you said, I, like I said, even with my Hoppa friends. So then I was like, this is, this organization is like really trying to like change the mold here when it comes to how Asian Americans deal with mental health. And that that's wild because it's just was never spoken about, you know, like it was just like with my mom stop crying, stop being a baby. You know what I mean? Um, and like, there was just no conversations about it. Like it was just never supposed to be talked about, you know? And so like, I do, I, the Asian American drug abuse program helps, you know, any race, you don't need to be Asian, but I think that it's one thing that I did find very interesting about it was that it was Asians trying to address mental health. And And, like, that was just so foreign to me, you know? I think I think when it does come to issues, we all feel it. Asian Pacific Islander communities feel and experience as everyone else feels. The the difference, and you you said something really critical is that when you don't talk about it, it festers or it comes out in other ways. And substance abuse has been an outlet to address some of these traumas and emotions that haven't been dealt with. And I think that talking about it is because we're part of this recovery process. Um, Whether you're in treatment to prevention, um, the source of the pain is not the drug use. The source of the pain comes from all the issues you talked about, all the issues that others experience throughout their life. And some paths are, some paths do take substance, you know, go take the path of substance use or domestic violence or mental health, you know? Mm -hmm. So I think uh, what you raised is excellent because more people need to start talking about it. When you start to let that go, there's a certain freedom and an honesty where you could start looking more clearly because it's not sitting in your chest, your shoulders, the back of your head, but it's off. And now you could look with more clarity about what you are, what you experienced. It's okay to be human. It's okay to be frail. It's okay to make mistakes because you can move forward and become stronger. And I think that's where I see you, Jackie. I'm glad I had a chance to talk with you today and for you to share this, because this was completely another side of a very beautiful you. And I'm glad our paths crossed. Me too. I want want to wrap this up with a question, or just your last statement. Yeah. You know, a succinct thought about how you see prevention coming from the discussion topic of your 
biracial identity or just by identity, how does prevention tie in with that? How do you see prevention? Tie wow. In? Oh man. I mean, I think prevention is everything. Um, you know, I, I have, um, always been someone who's very impulsive and very reckless. And I just bulldoze my way through life, you know, and have just, um, tripped up so many times and literally eaten beep. <laughs> you know what I mean? And, um, with time I've realized that like, Hey, like you don't have to eat beep here. Like you can like slow down and see what's coming and like maneuver around it, you know? And that's what prevention is. Prevention is like literally taking the time to slow down and not just like hold it all in and try to bulldoze through things. And I think that that was kind of like how I was raised was just like, shut up, put up, and you're going to get through it. And instead it's like communicate, um, minimize temptation, minimize, um, these, you know, minimize toxicity essentially like with age, I have figured out that like prevention. I feel like I said prevention is key. Cause it's like an Asian, that's the, an Asian American drug abuse program, like line that we're always hearing is like prevention is key, but it like, it really is. Um, it's, it's like, we aren't, we aren't stupid, you know, like we, we know what we're getting ourselves into, or we see the writing on the wall. Like we have instincts, like our, our body, our mind tells us stuff, but like, for some reason, whether it's trauma that we don't want to talk about or whatever it is, like, we'll just go into it, you know, head first. And, um, like what I've learned with time is like, listen to your body, see the writing on the wall. Don't entertain toxic people or toxic situations. Like, you know, when a situation is going to be toxic, like, you know, when someone is bad news and what I've learned with time is like, those situations and those people like you think, Oh, just let them in a little bit. And then the next thing, you know, it's like it, they take a mile and then it's another mile and another mile. And the next, next thing, you know, you spiral completely out of control, you know? So prevention is the most important thing. I think it's, it's, it's like, I can't emphasize that enough. You know, it's like, you have to literally feel that gut feeling and like see the writing on the wall and you need to be like, I'm going to prevent this from happening, you know, or it's going to have really bad consequences. And again, that's something that I, I found out the hard way, you know, like I was like, okay, like, but I can make things better or I can change this person or I can break through to them or I can fit, you know, like I always thought like if I'm, if I'm such a big personality and so strong, like I can get through it. But really what I've learned with time is like, you got to learn when to be like, slow down and let's maneuver around this because like, yeah, you might be able to break through the other side and you probably will. Cause I know me, I'm a survivor and like, I'm tough as hell. I'm tough as nails, you know? So like, I know I can probably bust through that and come out on the other side, but it just, there comes a time where you're just like, you got to be kinder to yourself and you got to be like better to yourself. You know, like I listen to this podcast all the time and it's like, these people like endured stuff that was absolutely insane. Like why, why would a human being like endure all that, you know? And I think that they, a lot of the, a lot of the, you know, you talk to a lot of people in recovery and it's because they, they start 
they're like, whoa, I haven't been listening to myself for so long. I haven't been listening to my heart for so long. And I've just been just, I'm caught up in the whirlwind and I'm just going. And like, I, I haven't like slowed down and stopped and just like, you know what I mean? Maneuvered around the situation, you know? And so like, I think like my prevention is, it's like, that's how I'm going to like get through this, awesome. <laughs> get through this life. You know what I mean? Like that. And it's not just for, it's not just for drugs. It's not just for alcohol. It's for dating people, which is probably one of the worst aspects of my life personally. You know what I mean? Is like, okay, like see the writing on the wall with this person. Like, this is not a good human, you know, same with friendships. Like I've let a lot of toxic people into my life, you know, but I, especially with toxic situations, you know what I mean? Like, it's so funny. My, like, you know, your parents will be like, nothing good happens after midnight or like, you know, if you do this, it's going to lead to a bad scene. And it's like, you're like, whatever, I'm going to be fine. And it's like, truly nothing good happens <laughs> after midnight. And it's like, you can see the writing on the wall in so many situations. And it's like, I think I've just gone older and I've just been like, okay, like I'm going to start being better to myself. Like I'm going to just stop doing this. Like if anything, it's so funny. It's like a lot of things that I would have like scoffed at my parents about. I'm just like, nah, this was all true. And I wish I, I would have listened, but I think that now that I'm older, it's like, I realize like it's not too late. Like you can always, you can still prevent things from happening. And I think that was like another thing I'd always be like, I'm too far gone. It's already, I'm knee deep in this. And it's like, prevent the next thing from happening, you know? And we didn't talk about Ian a lot on here, which we've talked about, you know, like I talk about him all the time. So it was interesting to talk about myself more, I think, and made me a little bit more vulnerable. Cause like, usually I could be like talking about Ian a lot. Um, but you know, he used to come to me and he'd be like, so upset about relapsing and he'd be like, I effed up. And he'd be so mad at himself. And I would be like, you're alive. And like, let's just try again. You know, I'm like, we can prevent this from happening again. And, um, you know, unfortunately Ian did pass away, but like, um, he, I, if I could go back in time, I just wish he would have been, he could have seen that like prevention was still possible. I think like he always felt like I'm too far gone. I'm too far gone. And I think for me, I do the same things. And so like, now one big self talk thing I've been telling myself is like, you can always start over. It's going to be okay. You know, <laughs> stop beating yourself up so much and, uh, you know, just be better to yourself, be kinder to yourself. I think that's something that everybody can take. And I think yes. particularly people of, um, AAPI descent, we come from a culture where, you know, they demand perfection they want you to be the best. And it's not, and my mom was, and I were actually talking about this last night, I think. And she was like, it's not because I didn't love you or thought you were worthless. It's because like, I knew that was in you, you know? And, um, it's just funny. It was just ex expressed in a really harsh way, but it was actually like her being like, I love you so much. I see this potential in you, you know, again, we're all just trying to get through life. <laughs> <laughs> and, and do our best. So it's like, I know now though, it was like, she was demanding perfection because like, she actually did believe in me, you know? And that's so. an amazing thought for you to hold on to because your mom's message is so strong. So in some ways it's let go of how it's said, but listen to what is being said because she does love you. 
and that and that said about I would say your whole family based on what you've shared before. So if we had a walk away from today, it's pause, take a breath, appreciate because there's going to be a tomorrow. Just be patient and let tomorrow happen. Let tomorrow happen. So Jackie, you've been such an amazing guest. I love this conversation. Um, I think we can go on and we can hit other conversations. (laughs) And that'll be for another day, another episode. Thank you, Jackie. You have a positive day. I love you, girl. Love you too. Please join us for new podcasts every Wednesday on Prevention 365. We uh, are on Believe, B-L-E-A-V. We're also on Spotify and Apple. If you're interested in watching the uncut conversation with Jackie Jing on biracial identity, please go to youtube.com slash ADAP Inc. That's A-A-D-A-P-I-N-C. Have a great listening experience. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.